Beloved, if you have your Bibles, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, where we will be today. I remember when I used to leave my house uh, to go anywhere, my dad would tell me, remember who you are and remember whose you are, just telling me subtly how to live in light of who I belong to. That's exactly what Peter is doing here in this epistle. He's reminding the church who they are and whose they are. And as we have been discovering here in the first part of the book of 1 Peter, that this cosmic glory has come to these people, a salvation caused by the hand of God that he's keeping in heaven, heaven for them. He is uh, reminded them that they have a living hope because of this salvation. And as we've talked about the last few weeks, in light of this salvation, in light of this grace of God that has come to them, this is how they are to live, both in the fear of God and in the holiness of God, but also in, in loving one another, pursuing one another eagerly and earnestly in love as we long together as the body of Christ for the pure spiritual milk. Uh, next week, we're about to get into how we uh, interact with society and how we're to live as exiles in this world. But before we get there, it's as if Peter in our text today is pushing deeper into the lives of this church body about who they are in Christ. And today, he uses Old Testament imagery to kind of aliven who we are in Christ. Now, the first century church is gonna have a greater understanding of this Old Testament imagery than we do. But as we look at the text today, and as I've been praying uh, throughout the week, as, along with our elders, we've been thinking about how important it is for us to understand the biblical theology of what Peter is pushing down into us today as the people of God. It's very simple, this main idea that I, I've brought before you today, it's, it's this. Through Christ, the living stone, we are, a, uh, we are made into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. Through Christ, the living stone, we are made into a spiritual house and a holy priesthood. And I, I'm gonna unpack that as Peter gives us imagery to, to do so. And imagery is an illustration. He is flooding us today with illustrations to help us understand who we are. So there's three privileges that kind of flow out of this text that I want us to see. Uh, we're rooted and sown into Christ. And that is the glorious gospel that we have been proclaiming. That's the, the gospel we've just been singing about. And there's privileges that we have as the people of God to walk in and to bask in and that are made possible because of Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna look at those three privileges today. The first one is found in verse four, and it's simply this. As God's people, we now have access to God through Christ. We now have access to God through Christ. Look with me in verse four, that first phrase, as you come to him. His people can now come to him. Now, Peter's drawing language that would be familiar in the Old Testament, that idea that we are to draw near to God so that we can be in his presence. 
It's littered throughout the New Testament as well. We are to come near to God. And, and Peter hints at here the ability to come near to God, which, would, which is something that he will explicitly talk about here in verse five in just a moment. I don't wanna go there just yet as he talks about the priesthood that we have been given, but he's trying to help us to see that we now have access to God. In fact, all believers now have access to God and can go immediately to him. It used to be that you'd have to go to Jerusalem to have access to God. You would have to travel, uh, you would have to go there where the temple was built. We'll unpack the temple here momentarily. Uh, and, and And then when the people of God would draw near to God, Uh, It would be done through prayer, but even the people were kept from the temple of God where the presence of God was found. And so we see what he's saying here is actually quite remarkable. It's quite quite incredible. Uh, Jesus gives us a foretaste of this in John chapter 4 when he tells the woman at the well that there's going to be a day where God's people worship in spirit and in truth. And Peter begins to kind of unpack this idea for us in the text. Now, when he says, as you come to him, uh, he's talking about an ongoing relationship that the people of God have with God. It's a, it's a present participle. And that's super important for us to understand this wonderful little text here. It means as you continuously come to Christ, you are being built up into a spiritual house. So we come to Christ initially by grace through faith, you come to him. And then you continually come to him over and over again throughout the years and you are built up into a spiritual house as you do. Now, who is it that we come to? Well, look what it says there. It says a living stone who's rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He's talking about Christ. Christ is who we're called to come to, and Christ here is, uh, is, is known as the living stone. Now, I don't know if you guys took geology class, and you know that I failed mine already, but a stone is not a living organism. Yet here, he's referring to Christ as a living stone. So when he speaks of Christ, he's talking about coming to something that is alive, that shouldn't be alive. Jesus is different. Beloved, we try to access stones all the time that are not alive. Stones throughout the course of our lives that have no breath in them. Trying to find our identity in things like our work or our family or our friends or what people think about us or perhaps it's false gods, false religions. None of those stones are living by themselves. Yet here he makes the appeal that we're coming to a living stone. And this living stone has been rejected by some and accepted by others. The stone is rejected as he goes on to say in verses 6 and 7 and 8. He's pulling from passages like uh, Isaiah 28 and Psalm 118 and Isaiah 8 these Old Testament prophecies that are referring to Christ as a cornerstone, as a living stone. Now we see in Matthew chapter 21, Luke 20, that Jesus himself refers to himself as the cornerstone that's going to be laid and that's going to be 
rejected. And as verse, t- verse four tells us, people did reject this living stone. But when the people accept the living stone, they are not put to shame as verse six is going to tell us. But in verse four, we have to see first that this living stone, this incredible, beautiful object is rejected by some. And this is the world's estimate of Christ. He is not worth accepting. He is not worth believing in. He does not look the way that we think he should look. But look how the father estimates him right there in verse four. The stone is chosen and it's precious in the sight of the father. Chosen is the same word we talked about a few weeks ago of elect. He was elect by the father to play this role. He was precious in sight of the father because he's the only candidate who can actually take on the task. He's different, as different as a stone breathing is. Beloved, is Christ precious to you the way that he is precious to the father? Do you you consider him of high value or is he just another stone in your life? No, he is highly precious, highly valuable. Coming to Christ is to agree with the Father that he is chosen and precious. Not coming to Christ is to agree with the world that he is of no value and rejected. To apply this deeper into our hearts, if we have access to him now, my my question to you is, do you come with consistency and confidence to him? Do you actually think now that Christ has been risen, uh, the veil has been torn in the Holy of Holies, which used to be that access point for the priest, which we'll talk about here in a second. Do you believe that you actually have access to him now, and if you believe that, do you come to him with confidence and consistency in a daily basis? When you come to him, you bear the name of Christ. Uh, We see in places like John 14 and John 16 that we who believe in Christ bear the name of Christ, and therefore the Father listens to us and we have access to him now because of this reality. One of the most remarkable psalms in the book is Psalm 63, when when David is outside of Jerusalem. He's been misplaced and moved out of his palace in Jerusalem because of a revolt led by his son Absalom. And he's sitting in the Judean wilderness and he's longing to be back into Jerusalem. He's back in Jerusalem where the tabernacle is because that's where the presence of God is. And we see this this soul-stirring desire from David in Psalm 63 to be back in the presence of God with the people of God. And he says, your steadfast love is greater than life. And he just wants to see it yet again in the temple. Beloved, did you know the reality is because of the work of Christ and how he has made access to the Father yet again through his death, burial, and resurrection, we have access to God all the the time. That means you can be thrown in prison for the name of Christ 
and have the same access to God the Father as you do this very moment sitting in this building. We have access to him. Do you run to him? Do you consider that he wants to hear from you? That he wants to carry your burden, that he wants to provide wisdom to you, that he cares about the circumstances of your life. And that as you've gone to him the first time in faith, you continue to go to him by faith every day, knowing that he hears you. That, that curtain in the temple, which used to separate God, the presence of God in the Holy of Holies from the high priests and the people of God was a 60-foot tall curtain, four inches thick. And when Christ offered up his spirit in Matthew chapter 27, that curtain ripped in two at the hands of God, allowing access to be given. Everywhere you go, beloved, everywhere you minister, when we come together in in this body together, when we're scattered, we're no less the people of God, having access to God all the time. The second thing I want us to see, a privilege of being a part of the people of God is found in verse five. We now have been given a new role because of the work of Christ or new roles because of the work of Christ. Specifically, we're a building and we're a priest. We're gonna look at these one at a time. Look with me there in verse five. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Now, notice how Peter continues the stone imagery. He was talking about the the living stone that was rejected. But now he equates stones to us. Like, Like Christ, Christians, look what he says. You yourselves are now stones that are alive and being built into a spiritual house. This imagery of being a spiritual house is actually just littered throughout the New Testament. Uh, We read it from uh, our call to worship today in Ephesians 2. We see that we're members of the household of God in 1 Timothy 1. We see 1 Corinthians 3, that we're a structure that's being built up on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. We see in Hebrews 3 that we're a house that's being constructed. And we see the very same thing here. Now, house means temple. In fact, in places in Isaiah and the Old Testament, we see how God's house refers to a temple. And so what he's saying here is we are actually becoming a temple. Now, the Old Testament temple is where God would meet with his people for sacrifices and for prayers. And now he's saying, you're being built up into the house of God, into the temple. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6 talk about how our physical individual bodies are a temple indwelt now by the Holy Spirit of God. It, there, there's a change that happens after Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father and sends the helper to come and dwell within his people. Now, beloved, this is really important imagery here. Because he's describing a living temple and in so describing a living temple, he's actually describing the church. He's describing us, Uh, not just some beautiful sanctuary. He's saying that you, beloved, are the beautiful sanctuary. We often say that we come to the sanctuary or a meeting in the sanctuary. This place becomes the sanctuary when you step into it 
and begin to worship God from your heart. You are the sanctuary of the living God. And Paul says this through the church, the purpose of God is actually accomplished in Christ. Listen to Ephesians 3. To bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. So that through the church, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness, listen to this, and access with confidence through our faith in him. This is who we are now. It's, and I know it's like hard. I've been thinking all week, like how do we think through this imagery? And so it's not just bouncing off of us like tennis balls to a tank. And I, we honestly need the Spirit's help in this uh, to help us to see what it means for us to be living stones. But we need to first recognize that, uh, that God's redemptive plan is to change men and women as flesh and blood examples of the transforming power of his mercy made possible through Christ's blood. Do we get that first? If that is sown into our hearts and we believe that, then the Lord can begin to build a greater understanding of what this means. So God saves us through his word, right? We come to him by faith. And then he sanctifies us through his word. This is what we talked about last week, that pure spiritual milk constantly. And through brothers and sisters who earnestly love one another, then the world begins to marvel at this. And we're gonna talk about that next week. So the three privileges of being members of the house of God are this week. And then we're gonna talk about the purpose of the house of God next week as we think about the nations. Now it's hard to understand a cornerstone. I don't know how many of you out there are builders I am not a builder. I, I can barely build a birdhouse and Bud Letterbore helps me every time we build a birdhouse together. But a cornerstone is historically very important because the cornerstone is laid and the weight of the structure is then thrust upon the cornerstone. And if it's a solid cornerstone, then the whole structure will be secured. The cornerstone also actually helps make the line straight so that the building can be in order and congruent. And so the cornerstone was the property of the people in order to set things in place so that the building would have a proper use, a proper function wherever that cornerstone was laid. And so throughout time, the cornerstone has become a symbol that life is supposed to be held together because that's exactly what a cornerstone does. And we see in, in, uh, in verse six, he's quoting from Isaiah 24, or excuse me, 28. And God is actually rebuking Israel for resting on a different cornerstone. Uh, the reason he's pulling these, these verses out is because it is possible for the people of God to put their hope in a cornerstone that cannot hold the weight of the pressure. That's exactly what happens in Isaiah 28, passage he quotes here. 
Uh, They are thinking, Israel is thinking in Isaiah 28 about their military prowess, their military alliance, their wisdom as a country. And what happens is ultimately they're led into Babylonian captivity. If we don't understand the imagery of the cornerstone, we're not gonna understand the dangers of false cornerstones. Christ is the cornerstone. So consider the illustration and the importance of this living stone here. He's used as both. He's a living stone, he's a cornerstone in these passages. The fact that Christ is the living stone shows that he is more important than any stone, big, beautiful stone that was put in Solomon's temple. It's, it's showing a, a heightened betterness to Christ, the temple. Now, I recognize these are hard images, that the temple, we're about to get into the priest, but I, I want us to understand the importance of the temple as we look throughout the scriptures about the temple. Because this is, this is really important. I, I want us to understand that the temple was not just a place for Israel, but the temple throughout the scriptures is the idea of God dwelling with man. It's the intersection of where God has fellowship with man. We actually see this first in the garden. The garden, believe it or not, is a temple because God is dwelling with his people. He is walking with those who have his image. And we see that this is the first place that God dwells with his people. After that, we see that the tabernacle comes into play. After God's people are delivered out of uh, Egypt due to their sin, God gives them instructions in places like Exodus 25 and, and Numbers 3 about building a tabernacle where God would dwell with his people so that there's fellowship yet again with his people in an intimate way. And he gives them uh, like detailed description of what this tabernacle could be like. But you know what's crazy about this tabernacle when you compare it to the garden? There's actually a whole lot of overlap on how it was designed. If you go back and you read the description in Exodus 25 and places like Numbers 3, you'll see that even in the tabernacle, there was the tree of life inscribed inside of the temple. Uh, You'll see that the entrance was from the east, just like the gardens. You see that in Numbers 3. Uh, You see that there is food and and bread. You see that the gate is guarded by a cherubim symbol in the tabernacle, just like the the garden is is guarded by the the cherubim. We see that priests work and keep the temple just like man and woman keep the, the, the garden as was instructed by God. But just like Adam and Eve Israel rebelled against God and tabernacle ultimately uh, struggled. But then we see a good king that comes and his name is David and and David plans a permanent temple but because of bloodshed, he is not able to build the temple but Solomon then is able to build uh, the temple. He builds the most beautiful structure that had been known on the earth to that point. And, and, And the temple was the place that God dwelled more permanently than the tabernacle. But Israel once again rebelled against God and the temple was ultimately ransacked and destroyed and the people of God were sent into captivity. 
After a period of time, those exiles came back. The hand of God, the mercy of God, led by Nehemiah to build the temple again so that God could dwell with his people. It wasn't the glory of the former temple. There's weeping uh, that takes place because of this, but the temple is back, yet it's disgraced by the time Christ comes again. But then we come to John 1, and this is really important, because when Jesus shows up in John 1, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That word dwelt is the word tabernacle. So Jesus comes and he tabernacles yet again with his people and he lives amongst the people. He claims to be the temple. In fact, he's gonna, he's, the temple is gonna be destroyed. He's gonna raise it in three days. You remember this? He dismantles the curtain upon his death. He does in fact raise the temple in three days. He sends his spirit. His spirit then dwells within us and we church become living stones, the temple. This theology is really, it's important for us to understand what it is God is doing in his story. But it's not even over. One day Christ is gonna come back and he's gonna make a new heavens and a new earth. He's gonna make a cosmic temple that will never go away and Jesus will be in the center of his people and he will dwell with us forever as the cosmic temple. Temple language is really important in the scriptures for us to understand, especially as we try to apply it to our lives today. I want us to see, as we take this application and we push it deeper into our hearts, this temple language, I want us to fight for an understanding of what the New Testament church is. I, I, I want us to be a New Testament church. I share the same heart as our elders. Uh, not fancy, not entertaining, but living stones full of the spirit of God living amongst the people who might even reject us. Where we fit in God's unfolding redemptive plan is really important for us to understand. And beloved, COVID revealed a lot about what people think about the church, uh, where priorities are, what the importance of the church is. So when I say I want us to be a New Testament church, uh, that is the vision that Peter has for this very same church. So we're not coming in going, man, I, we wanna entertain you this way and we wanna build all these constructs. No, we want to be faithful to be living stones as we see it today. I've seen a lot of dialogue uh, recently that the word of God is archaic. Beloved, the word of God is not archaic. It's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And so when the spirit of God dwells the people of God, that should be our understanding of our role and responsibility as we live out this life in exile as we await our king to return. And so we want to be people about the church, about faithful uh, living beings in the body of Christ. Uh, you cannot be a stone that's disjointed from the body or from the building. It's not a living stone. Living stones are together and they're placed on the cornerstone as one structure. And, and, and they put all their weight on that cornerstone because they know that that cornerstone can hold them up. Beloved, that's us, the church. Living stones, a new temple, placing our trust, our hope, our weight on the cornerstone who is Christ Jesus. 
This is why we're together. This is why we come together. We want to seek to cultivate spiritual good in those around us. We want to grow in Christ's likeness together. We want to be built up as we come to him. Do you see what it says there in verses four and five? As you come to him, you're built up. So when we come, we come to him. We, we hold the gospel before each other. We are actually being built up every single time we do that. It takes time to build a house, does it not? Sometimes the rain washes out. Sometimes uh, there's labor problems. All this stuff can take time. But we are, build, we are being built up every single time we come to him. And sometimes we think in our minds, this is a temptation, to find safety and security in building our own foundation or our own life apart from this temple. Uh, That is something that we all feel and you're like, well, what do you mean by that? Do you ever have that desire to go get a plot of land in the woods and just be isolated so that the government can't get you? (laughs) Right? Let me tell you something. You are not safe there. The place that we are safe is here as we're made as living stones, living out our faith together as the temple of God, who is being held together by the cornerstone. Beloved, I have a question to ask you and I really want you to take it seriously. Where are some of your faulty, where where are you putting some of your faith in faulty cornerstones? What are you putting your weight on, your hope on? Is it, is it something in your life that has, has grabbed hold of you as an idol that's clenched you and you're just hoping that you can master it at some point? I promise you, that structure will fall. But when you put our weight on the cornerstone, it will not fall. And beloved, we are supposed to add stones to this. And we're gonna talk about that more next week. So many people in our lives and in our world are placing their hope in politics, placing their hope on a better president, placing their hope on all these different things. And I promise you the cornerstone will not stand up. So we're gonna talk about our role next week, our priestly role in going to them and letting them know that there's a cornerstone in which will uphold them for all of eternity. And it's not just a temple, look at verse five, we're also a priesthood. To be a, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're a temple and we're a priesthood. Now in the Old Testament, priests mediate between God and people. They pray and they offer sacrifices to God on behalf of the people. These are physical offerings sacrifices, burnt offerings, grain offerings, prayer offerings. We see where priests, uh, many priests pray for the people and we see there's times where uh, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and pray the pardon of sin for Israel and would uh, on the day of atonement throw the blood on the altar, consecrating himself first and then praying and asking for God to forgive people of their sins. Priests held a significant place in the, in the people of God. And we don't understand that very well because we don't know what a priest is. So when he says you're a priest, he's breaking their categories. He's, he's, he's trying to break our categories and helping us understand what our role is now as the people of God. And you can see this, go to Leviticus chapter four and eight and Exodus 28 and 29. See the detailed responsibilities of the priests and how important they are 
inside of God's plan for his people. But this is why this priesthood is so meaningful. At Jesus' death, the priesthood ended because the one true lamb was slain for the sins of the world. As, as John the Baptist said in John chapter, chapter one. So Jesus is the sacrifice, blood poured out on the offer, offer, uh, offer accepted by God. Uh, Jesus is the high priest, uh, as said in Hebrews four, uh, interceding for us at all times of the day, even when we sleep, the high priest is interceding for us. And Christ is the temple Body raised in three days. He's the cornerstone, as this passage says. He's the sacrifice. He's all of these things. All these things, the temple, the tabernacle, they're just shadows of what is glorious. And what is glorious, beloved? Christ himself is what is glorious. And now Peter is teaching that we are priests because we're connected to the cornerstone. And we're supposed to offer spiritual sacrifices and these are acceptable not because we're good, not because we've done anything, because they're acceptable through Jesus Christ because that was the offering that was accepted by the Father. So this is an active responsibility that we have. We go to him. Think in your mind of an Old Testament priest hurrying himself to consecrate himself in the temple. Now we go to him by faith being the temple, as priests in the temple, offering these spiritual sacrifices. And you, I know the question on every single mind is, well, what's a spiritual sacrifice? Well, let's let the word teach us what those are. That's the application for this section. It says in Hebrews 13, to love one another. Meeting each other's needs, that is a pleasing sacrifice to God. Hebrews 13, 15 says, a sacrifice of praise from your lips. So as you sing, as you pray, that is a spiritual offering to the Father in the name of Christ, through the blood of Christ that is accepted to him. And this is the book of Hebrews. If you remember back in chapter 10 of Hebrews, it's like, he's telling, hey, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some. There's an importance to gather together and to offer these sacrifices together. It talks about how prayer is an offering. Psalm 141, Revelation 8. Paul says in Romans 12, to offer your whole life as, a, as an offering acceptable to God. Why? How? Based on the gospel that has been proclaimed, believed on through the blood of Christ that has now made you clean and whole. What else is a priestly service? Romans 15, 16 says, telling others about Christ is an acceptable priestly service. Proclaiming the gospel of God, telling others where the cornerstone is that they can rest their hope on. You know what another fragrant offering, sacrificial acceptance to God is, Paul says in Philippians 4. It's our financial giving towards ministry. I promise you, I'm not trying to be a sleazy pastor talking about fundraising here. Our heart before the Lord is to give back what has been given to us. And these 
Christians in the book of Philippians have given all these gifts to Paul. And he's like, I love the gifts, but you know what I love more than the gifts? I don't even need the gifts, but you know what I love more than the gifts? I love that your credit has been added to because you are giving faithfully in, sacrific- in a sacrificial way back to the Father. And that little phrase at the end of the sentence is super important, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, the temple, the priest, the one who holds it all together. All your works, Paul says, are but filthy rags, but acceptable through Christ. So we come to him bearing the name of Christ. We're gonna talk about that in chapter four, 12 through 16. We bear the name of Christ. It is your new name. You have a new name. You belong to Messiah. You belong to the King. And so our whole lives are a sacrificial system, offering praise to God for who he is, proclaiming his word, learning how to love and, uh, one another, growing in service based on how Christ has loved and served us. And then finally, and I promise you, this is the fastest one, Number three, we have a future honor by believing in Christ. And that's where we get in verses six through eight. Verse six, for it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, that's where we get our third point from, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Verse eight, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Highlight the first phrase of verse six, for it stands in scripture. This is true. God in his sovereignty has laid a stone in Zion. He's building a people for himself. It stands in scripture. And if you believe this, there will be honor coming to you. And then others reject it. We will not be put to shame. Isaiah 28, you are secure. Your honor is there. Why do you say future honor in this point? Well, you gotta remember that these Christians were marginalized in society. They were outcasts. They were going through forms of persecution. I assure you the day they read this letter, they did not feel honor. We might not feel honor as we live in this life right now. In fact, as the temperatures against the church rise, we are starting to look more and more kooky to the outside world. It's true. But there is a future honor that awaits us and he's intentionally telling the church this. Hey, while you are being put to shame, honor is on its way when Christ returns. Keep an eye on this day. It is coming. It's meant to be an encouragement to the church. He says in verse seven, quoting Psalm 118, but those who do not believe have rejected the cornerstone. He says in Isaiah eight, Jesus is a rock of offense to them. That means they've rejected Messiah. They didn't think the stone was right enough, good enough, necessary enough. They rejected repentance and faith. They rejected the good news of the gospel. They thought it was silly and unnecessary, absurd. They thought other gods were better. 
<clears throat> and there is a day, in fact, they'll be put to shame. They might be reveling in societal glory right now, but there's a day that they're gonna be put to shame and they're gonna realize when they spend eternity apart from God in a place called hell, that they shouldn't reject the cornerstone. It says at the very end, they stumble because they disobeyed the word as they were destined to do. Now, are they disobeying or did God destine them to do that? Yes. It's important not to untangle what scripture has put plainly. And so we're gonna leave it right there and we're gonna recognize that God had predicted in the prophets as we've uh, we've already seen that a stone would be laid and this stone would be rejected by some and this stone would be accepted by others. Beloved, I, I pray that you have accepted this living stone. I pray that you have not rejected him. I promise you, and I, I don't say this in a cruel, demeaning way, but if you put your faith in anything else, your building will fall. But if you want to live and dwell with the living God forever, place your faith in the living corner stone whose name is Jesus. And if you have, you bear his name also. We cannot be surprised when we are rejected by society. If they rejected me, that's what Jesus says, they're gonna reject you, but fear not, I have overcome the world. And so we get to live in this exile and we get, still get access to him all the time, coming to him in faith living as a temple, offering sacrifices, spiritual sacrifices daily through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we know that there's a future honor that's coming for his church. And we keep our eyes to it. My last question for you today is simply this. Do you believe and trust in this promise? Do you trust that honor is coming to you? That, that, that security is yours, that you're safe. Do you believe that you're safe and that it's certain? As it says at the very beginning of our little text, come to him as you come to him. Christian, if you're a Christian today, come to him. Rest on the cornerstone. Consider the work of the cornerstone. Recognize that you're a part of the building because of the, the cornerstone has been laid. If you are not a Christian or if you're a curious person about the gospel, I'm, I'm just gonna ask you, come to the cornerstone, the living stone for the first time today. Be a part of the, the building that he's building up because that building never goes away. Let's pray.